Is this thing on? Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Summits Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, from wherever you get your podcasts, or if you're checking out us, checking us out, excuse me, on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you. Um, if you're on the YouTube channel and you haven't subscribed, please do so. Hit that subscribe button and also hit that little notification bell so you can be alerted when new episodes like this one drop. Today's guest is Dr. Steve Angus. Welcome to the Summit's podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks for, for having me. me. Absolutely. Um, I do want me to give a, a yeah. quick, a quick uh, history. So I'm in. Indiana now at the IU School of Medicine in the Department of Pediatrics. Uh, I do cancer research as a basic scientist. Uh, prior to that, I was at UNC Chapel Hill. And also prior to that, I worked at Duke University. And backtracking, I started off getting my PhD at University of Cincinnati. So did kind of been cir everywhere. circled back yeah. to the Midwest, uh, but all in that way, I've always been interested in doing cancer research. And my last move becoming before coming to Indiana at the University of North Carolina, in Chapel Hill, we started collaborating with Wade Clapp. Uh, he's the chair of the pediatrics department uh, at IU School of Medicine uh, and really involved in Riley. And so um, we can get more into it in a moment, but my, my research kind of, you know, that connection really drew me uh, to potentially being interested in coming up here. And I've been excited. Uh, it's been great. I've been up here since August of 2019. Nice. Well, most uh, Hoosiers would have picked out and that they heard UNC and Duke. Yeah. <laughs> and typically, yeah. Yeah, that's not that's like happy saying, with me. I'm at yeah. IU and Purdue. Purdue exactly. Or switched over. Yeah. Uh, so if you had to put you on the spot here, if you had to, to, to show your allegiance to one or the other, which, which one of the Carolina doing? schools, I can't believe I even said Carolina Duke for sure, but it okay. go, goes back to my childhood and being, uh, uh, just, you know, the Duke teams in the, in the, Right. back to back championships so, but uh, i am i will wear some iu stuff i'm repping okay. iu so right. <laughs> where right. did you where were the where were the early years at where did you grow up at as a yeah. kid oh yeah i grew up in fairfield ohio okay. which you know okay. kind of for if folks on you know kind of the 275 belt around okay. cincinnati it's a little bit north of that kind of like where we are in yeah. relation to 465 so yep. kind of okay. around since I, I tell people cincinnati but if you really zoom in on a map you know, nowhere near downtown. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's where I grew up. And it's kind of like when people ask where, where we're at. I'm like, yeah, Indianapolis. Yeah, they're out of the state. They're like, <laughs> and then like, oh, I'm from. Yeah. They're like, okay, get, well, we can get a little more specific you now. You can get more right? yeah. specifics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, which high school in Cincy did you go to? I went to Fairfield High School. Fairfield High School. Mm -hmm. Okay. We know a few people from Cincy, and um, I don't think they're, they're not from Fairfield. They usually. Um, my, my wife's grandparents are from Mason, Ohio. Yep. So, yep, home of Kings close. Island. Yeah. So. Now, what did you do undergrad? Uh, I did my undergrad at Miami University okay. in Oxford, Ohio. So right. I stayed okay. close okay. to yep. home. All right. Um, yeah, my, my dad was a professor there at the, the branch campuses. There's the main Oxford campus, and then Hamilton and Middletown have branch campuses. So okay. he, neither of my parents were in science at all. My dad was in computers and math and got his Ph.D. from Ohio State. Uh, and then my mom was a teacher. Okay. For a long time, and so I was really kind of the first in the family to be to kind of head toward biology and, yeah. and research or anything like was that. Was Ohio State or the Ohio State? <laughs> I would say the Ohio State. Okay. Yeah, yeah, did I? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure for my yeah. dad. Yeah. And for all the, the Buckeyes. <laughs> then then they just they trademarked that or <laughs> yeah, copyright maybe, or something yes. crazy. Yeah, made, yeah. A, made a big big deal but, about yeah, that. But. Big fuss about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. So at what point 
then did you, I mean, you kind of touched on it. What point mm-hmm. though did, did pediatric oncology really kind of take, take your focus? It was, so I was at university, the, the last stage before coming up here, it was in North Carolina and my mentor there, Gary Johnson, had developed a way, and I'll speak really broadly, we can get into more specifics, but of looking at the use of kinase inhibitors. So it's yeah. basically just a drug uh, used to treat many diseases, but predominantly cancer. And the focus of his lab, we were working on breast cancer and melanoma. Um, and really there are, today there are over 70 kinase inhibitors. It's just a class of drugs. You can think of it like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been really effective in many settings. 70 of them, as you kind of see, if you look at the trend over time, the first one in 2001, and now there's over 70. So in just uh, you know, 20 years, a number of them. And he had a methodology uh, to kind of look at what happens to cancer cells when you use those, because they can become resistant. Yeah. Like you can, the patient, the tumor could respond for a while, and then they could develop resistance. So just really understanding when and where to use those best and in the context of breast cancer and melanoma. And he published a, a pretty big paper that, that you know, gained a lot of attention uh, in the field. And he got uh, in contact, or actually Wade Clapp got in contact with Gary uh, because Wade works on a couple of genetic diseases, neurofibromatosis type one and two. And with NF1, uh, that is where patients, their number one cause of death for patients with NF1 are these malignant sarcomas. Uh, okay. And they occur, they, you know, all of the clinical manifestations pop up fairly early. So you know, they're seen in pediatrics and pediatric young adult. And, Really, the as I thought about my future and what I wanted to work on, I there were several times. I mean, it, it sounds hokey, but I honestly would like walk packs the children children's hospital at Duke and just think like, oh, just what a. And I was happy. I had my first kid while we were down there in early mm-hmm. you know 2003, uh, or actually no, in, oh gosh, 2006, like 2004, <laughs> or 2006, been <laughs> the wrong years, um, and. The, and just knowing that there were so few prospects for treatment, for effective treatments in that realm, yeah. uh, we were kind of studying some areas where it had been successful uh, and maybe cancers uh, that were really well-funded. There's a lot of research going on. And so I just became interested in these, you know, more rare diseases, in particular these uh, rare pediatric cancers and yeah. uh, maybe, you know, seeing an impact and seeing it kind of translate. And, you know, when I use that term, maybe you guys know, just meaning stuff we do in a lab, like how quickly can that can affect it, treatment yeah. uh, for patients getting yeah. clinical trials and maybe, uh, and through collaborations with Wade uh, that I started when I was in Gary Johnson's lab at UNC, we were able to kind of see the beginnings of that and it was really exciting for me, so. Nice, yeah. Yeah, there's, it's a, it's, I just have to bet it's very fulfilling to see things from the from the side that you're on, trying to find options yeah. and in routes into impact yeah. down the road, right? Absolutely. I think I was attracted to science because at the end of the day, we are really puzzle solving and you have to be kind of fascinated and curious mm-hmm. and, you know, all this, the molecules and the interactions. Uh, but when those same, when you can work on those at the same time as kind of maybe advancing and seeing something before in the clinic, yeah, it is really, really gratifying, really yeah. motivating too. Yeah. When you, you talked about how these, um, I guess the cancer cells can become drug resistant at some mm-hmm. point. In general, how often does that happen and what length of time? I'm sure it's probably all over the board, but yeah, that's, that's, a, that's for a, someone like myself who doesn't yeah. have the most patients in the world, that's got to be extremely frustrating when that happens Yeah, for a lot of reasons. That's a great question. So it, it can differ uh, depending on which drug you're talking about, in which yeah. patient, how long it's, you know, the durability of a given treatment. 
Um, so I will say one an example I give a lot since I was working on melanoma. So there's a, a fraction of malignant melanoma, you know, this kind of skin cancer that's really aggressive and outcomes are really poor. And a kinase inhibitor for melanoma, the first one was approved in like 2011, 2012, and now there are a few more. Those had an amazing effect. There, I can envision this picture that was published of you know, a person with tumors kind of popping up all over their trunk. And I'm going to say but within three or four months of being on that drug, it completely all you know, melted away. The tumors had regressed wow. and, and the patient looked pretty normal. And then another, I'll say four months later, roughly all the tumors were back. Mm. Uh, so for something like melanoma, where there's, it's so aggressive and the uh, survival is so poor, uh, it, that drug, those drugs were still approved despite that challenge of them, you know, kind of becoming resistant. And as that was happening, a lot of research went into how is that happening and can we use a second kinase inhibitor? And in that example, I just gave you actually now uh, the standard of care for patients with this specific kind of melanoma get two kinase inhibitors, so two different drugs yeah. at the same time. <laughs> and that's more durable, lasts longer. Uh, it can vary by patient, but I'll say roughly, you know, now you may be talking about, you know, a year or more, uh, but still maybe you know, two years down the road, you might get resistance okay. in that okay. case. And so the timelines can vary, but almost yeah. always, you know, cancer cells are so resilient and they kind of adapt to these drugs after the, after you as a patient and start taking them. Um, it's kind of an ongoing, you know, yeah. uh, challenge for us really. Yeah. So would you say the, the bulk of your um, studies now are, are just continuing to try to improve that to extend that time or, or to figure out a way to make a medication that doesn't become yeah. drug resistant. I mean, if that's even possible. Yeah. I, and I think really that, that example I gave in melanoma is kind of like, here's a really good drug. And, and the drug uh, was approved and used because it actually targeted uh, the melanomas have a mutation in a kinase. So it's a very clear case of, oh, we should target that kinase with a drug. Uh, some other cancers don't have a clear target to go after, but in this yeah. case there was one hmm. uh, and then it was targeted, had a great effect. And then, oh, now, we may need a combination therapy. Um, and so that's that's kind of the mindset, I think, of everybody in, in the field is, it's likely if we give just a single drug, um, it's likely that we're gonna encounter this. And so we can start looking for that, expecting that in the lab, and right. you know, almost invariably we'll, we'll see it eventually in patients. And the hope is we've kind of got some prior knowledge of ideas of a combination that might work. So for something like, uh, you know, pediatric tumors where maybe nothing is approved, it's just kind of, you know, conventional uh, chemotherapy and radiation. Our hope is let's first just find like drug number one. And then at the same time, so already back here, let's just find a good drug number one, but already thinking about before that even comes close to a clinical trial, what's, what's going to happen? How might they become resistant? Is there a drug too that makes sense? Right. Oh, and also lower the toxicity at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. no big deal though. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, that is a definitely a challenge and ba the balance of that. And then I mentioned, uh, you know, before we started recording that, uh, some of the drugs we're interested in, there are 70 kinase inhibitors and the, many of them approved for adult cancers. So it's a big change, yeah. you know, when you think about then oh, the dosing yeah. for pediatric patients, it's kind of, uh, you know, a whole other challenge, whole thing to think through. And, and as you said, all these drugs have an effect as something, you know, many of them, most of them are a pill you're taking. So you want to kill the cancer cells or the tumor cells, but have a minimal effect on, you know, quality of life. So. Right. Mm -hmm. When they have a drug that say is approved for the adult population mm -hmm. and you're looking at it for peds, is it really just the dosing piece? But I'm, I'm oversimplifying, I'm sure. Or there are other factors to consider as well. 
Yeah, it could be. It could be the the frequency. Yeah, you know how the the um, how quickly the drug gets metabolized that could come yeah. into consideration. So, a lot of times it's just you know a smaller person just by sheer just body weight. Right. Uh, so we'll use a you know, and I'm I should say I'm a basic scientist. So this is getting into the realm of clinical pharmacology. But <laughs> broadly speaking, yeah, that you know, and maybe less frequent, although. Many times you usually want to kind of lower the amount, say in milligrams of, of the drug you're taking in, in in pill form, but still take it consistently to really suppress the, the growth of those, those cancer cells that you think if you've gotten all the all the way to the point where you're thinking this is a good drug to use, you kind of want to keep it um, as much as possible. But there are considerations like a drug holiday. Maybe if hey, that's having a good effect, but we just need to, you know, the patient needs to take a break take for a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. Um, do you have you to know. consider, I, I assume, you know, obviously in children, you have to consider what their, what long-term side effects might be of certain ones as far yeah. as like growth and developmental and things mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I assume that goes along with dosing and picking and everything. Yeah. yeah. I, I mentioned this uh, genetic uh, disorder called neurofibromatosis type one, where the you know, the, the leading cause of death is eventually development of these malignant tumors. Uh, the patients, the, the hallmark of this disease are these benign tumors actually that can form, they can actually form on the skin, their neurofibromas or under the skin, and they really affect quality of life. Uh, it's just a huge burden for the patients. And so through work, collaborative work with Wade Clapp, you know, we've kind of advanced a couple inhibitors um, to prospective use. And the first one, a MEC is a kinase, or it's like, there are two kinases, MEC1 and MEC2, but MEC inhibitors got approved for these benign tumors for NF1 patients in uh, uh, just a couple of years ago, in 2020. And so you know, ex exactly what you're, we're, you're bringing up is this consideration, okay, now you're giving this drug to maybe a child that's four, five, six, you know, they're doing trials now of younger patients and then yeah. thinking maybe this helps shrink these benign tumors and improve their quality of life, but now, okay, how is this going to work? It'd be on this kinase inhibitor, be on this drug, you know, for the yeah. rest of your life, or is, you know, is there a window of time where it's most effective? So yeah, that's a great yeah. question. And, yeah. and something that, you know, people on the clinical side designing trials uh, are, are kind of following up on. Yeah. yeah. Two part question for you. Um, yeah. One is what, what are you looking at now? Like what, mm. what is, what is the hot, hot item on the lab bench today? And then secondly, if you would kind of describe um, some of the Team Joey funding that, that we provided yeah. through some products of yours, if you would kind of describe what those products are and, and how things are going there. Yeah, so it, it, it might be the same answer for all I know. Yeah, and actually <laughs> it, all, it all does tie together. So I think the biggest tie is the work that I started doing uh, with my mentor at UNC, Gary Johnson. And, and I'll go a little bit more and you can ask follow-up questions. But so I mentioned uh, kinase inhibitors. So kinases are a class of proteins. A lot of them uh, in BRAF melanoma, BRAF mutant melanoma, it's, it's like, okay, we should have BRAF as a kinase. Oh, so we should have a drug that hits BRAF. Uh, in other tumor types, it's not so clear. You might develop a certain type of solid tumor that where there's not one of these kinases that's responsible for really driving the cancer. Um, so the technique that, that I learned and that Gary was developing was to look at all of the kinases in a, a cell, and there are hundreds, uh, over 500, and if you include, you know, comprehensively, like maybe even over 600 to 700. So how do you study all of those at once, unless you, you know, set up yeah. hundreds and hundreds of experiments? Uh, so the the technique that we use, and with uh, generous funding from the Heroes Foundation, we're applying this to pediatric sarcoma models. 
uh, we can take a, a sample and actually look at which kinases are most active. Uh, so maybe a tumor where, you know, from a genetic point of view, there's not a mutation in a kinase that makes it very clear that, oh, we should target that one, but there's something else going on. And we know that, you know, the cancer cell is kind of quote unquote messed up compared to a normal cell. It's signaling the way it um, transmits signals uh, and kinases are deeply embedded in that. Uh, which ones might be the most active? Which ones should we think about targeting? Okay. Um, and so this technique that's really been supported, we can kind of apply this where we've never applied it before to these kind of understudied uh, pediatric sarcomas. And we're, uh, we're, really, we're doing that. And uh, a related component is a lot of these drugs. I mentioned like, oh, there's a BRAF inhibitor. Uh, as it turns out, I just said kinases. I said there were hundreds of them. They're all kinases because they have a similar structure. And so a lot of the drugs that are used because of that similarity, it'll hit the kinase you want to hit but it'll also hit, and when I say hit, like inhibit or block the activity uh, of a bunch of other kinases. And so that can cause what you mentioned, it can cause toxicities because maybe you take a pill and it's these other kinases might be important for other you know, normal cell processes and they typically are. Um, so that can be a detriment or that could be kind of the reason it's doing so well because maybe you're inhibiting a few kinases that otherwise would drive resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and so we can use the same technique, again, I'll, I'll get into more or less detail if you want, but this approach that we take of studying the kinome, all the kinases kind of comprehensively, to take drugs and see which kinases are being hit by a given drug. Okay. Um, and that's sometimes, you know, so I'll give, you know, that's a great example, I'll just keep using that one. A BRAF inhibitor, if you actually put it on cells and do this assay that we can do in the lab, we see BRAF getting inhibited, this kinase, but uh, you know, 40, 50 other kinases in the cells uh, to a pretty substantial extent. And so uh, in some cases where I talked about using a drug that's approved for one cancer in the realm of pediatrics uh, is we will just screen a bunch of compounds that are approved, find that it works really well, and doing this assay that we can do in the lab, we, we can see which kinases it's actually inhibiting. Okay. An example, there's, I'll say a name, don't worry about the specific, crizotinib <laughs> is approved because it's an ALK inhibitor. ALK is just an acronym for another kinase uh, that's involved in some other cancer types. And so that drug was used and it you know, was discovered that, oh, it hits ALK, but it also hits this kinase called FAC, focal adhesion kinase is the acronym. And actually that FAC is a pretty important kinase. And so we're now interested in, in you know, uh, following up on that, um, okay. you know, using more specific inhibitors for FAC. So, okay. Maybe it's maybe a dumb question, but um, I, I skipped a stay at, at med school. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you say inhibits, does the cell, it's still there, it's just not yeah, having a negative. A good, so, yeah. do you have to then pair it up with something that wants to then destroy the cell? Well, I, that's, a, that's how my brain's thinking. But no, that's a great wrong. question. I mean, that, that's a fantastic question and one I should have mentioned. So these drugs actually bind, you can think of it almost like a Pac-Man, this yeah. place where a kinase will bind ATP. So ATP, kind of the, you know, the energy unit of, of cells that we all need. Kinases use ATP. Um, uh, and so the drugs are often designed where ATP binds to the kinase, this drug binds instead. In many cases, these drugs are used. So uh -huh. uh, the drug actually binds there. Um, uh, and occupies that site, and it doesn't necessarily get rid of that kinase. Okay. It just blocks its activity. Its function then is to use ATP to transfer, to modify a, other targets. The kinase will kind of, like flipping switches, like this kinase is on, it's now kind of going around, you know, turning on, 
you know, affecting other proteins in a cell and kind of affecting signaling in that way. So uh, we do think about that. There are drugs now that uh, where one part of it binds to the kinase in the way I just described, like mm -hmm. ATP, and then coupled to it is something <clears throat> that brings in degradation machinery that actually gets rid of, uh, you know, the actual protein, gets the protein right. to turn over. Yeah, so okay. um, that's another realm that we're really interested, you know, kind of even broadly, like folks are really interested in, maybe it'll be even better if we got rid of that um, mutant kinase or that kinase driving the cancer entirely. Yeah. So, yeah. What brought that to my memory was, I remember several years ago, uh, we were down at Riley and looking at, it escapes me what not only the cell type was, but also what the, what the drug was, but literally, uh, you know, sped up on screen, it showed, um, you know, this agent attacking the cancer cells and literally mm. you could see the cell like essentially blow up blow up like, yep. i don't know what that just happened but that was freaking cool yeah let's, let's keep doing more of that yeah we actually we've got uh, uh students uh, doing summer internships now and and that's when i talked about the combinations we're looking for sometimes a drug might be effective but it just kind of stops the cells from dividing you know it stops the process of right. one cell mm -hmm. becoming two cells which is kind of a foundational problem in tumors growing out of control and, and the rate at which they do that can vary um but if they're still there you know i talked about like reduced you know i talked about that example where patients could just have a large tumor and you want to shrink the volume of it what we'd really like to see is those cancer cells dying right and so yeah. um so that's one of the things we think about let's uh, maybe find one inhibitor to slow down or stop their growth and then another combination another drug that can really um you know maybe it's a second drug that you're, where you're really trying to hit the cancer cell Maybe right. it's where you're really trying to, you know, get the body's immune system to now, you know, recognize and eliminate the, those cancer cells that are kind of yeah. halted. So a lot of ways to go about that. But yeah, that's the that's the goal is, you know, think about a successful surgery or like a melanoma. If you catch it before it spreads, you just have surgery and it's Removing. totally gone. Like yeah. The whole thing is out. I mean, that's what. And so we're talking about taking a pill to stop the cells from growing. What we really want is eradicate, get yeah. rid of everything. and. Right. So yeah, that's something we think well, about. If, if you could have that done by the end of the year, that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we are. Yeah, that no is the goal, and yeah. I, I will uh, take that under advisement. <laughs> sure, thanks. <laughs> Add that to my list. Right. Yeah. Very PC answer. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, September is Multiple Cancers Awareness Month, but uh, two in particular, leukemia and lymphoma. So you mm. can say it's Blood Cancer Awareness Month yeah. in theory. Um, so, Doctor Angus, what's your cancer story? That's a, that is a great question. My cancer story, I did not. Uh, you know, I wasn't born with a syndrome like NF1 or NF2. Um, I did all my training. I was at working at Duke and then working at UNC where I started actually started working on kinase inhibitors. And I gave this example earlier that the, the first, when I talk about the molecules, the drugs that we use, the first one was approved in 2001. Okay. And it is kind of the poster child. It's the uh, it's Gleevec or mm -hmm. the generic name is imatinib. Um, and it was used to treat a specific type of leukemia called chronic myeloid leukemia. And by getting deep into the details, it, the driver, the thing that really you know, caused that leukemia to, to blossom and grow out, these cells to grow out of control, is kind of a messed up kinase. Okay. Um, and so there was, it's, and there's a, an amazing history, uh, kind of the just understanding that disease at a genetic level, all the way to getting to, you know, you know, the cell molecular studies of that, getting all the way to like thinking about drugs and using kinase inhibitors. And that's, people have been trying to do that for a while. So I was at UNC working on this, applying this methodology I mentioned to kind of track which kinases were doing what, which drugs might work, how they become resistant in breast cancer melanoma. And in, um, in 
oh gosh, am I getting there? No, in, in 2017, in like fall of 2017, uh, or is it 2016? I may have the year wrong. This is, uh, <laughs> I remember I was uh, during the summer. Uh, I was living in North Carolina. It's extremely hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember noting that I kept waking up in the middle of the night and I would have just like huge red patches on my elbows. And you think like, oh, at night you're like your elbows bent and you're just kind of getting really hot and sweating. And yeah. we had air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. So like more so than I'd ever noticed before. I'm like, well, this is kind of odd. I didn't think much about it. It just so happened at the same time I was having some blood tests to kind of, you know, checkups at my age to kind of track cholesterol and everything. And my primary care doctor noted that a specific, uh, a specific type of cell called basophil, so you get your complete blood, blood count or CBC. She's like, oh, this population of cells is really high if you've traveled out of the country. It's like sometimes this is, you know, your body's response, maybe an infection or something. I thought, no. Um, I really haven't. And she's like, well, let's do a follow up, you know, in a couple of weeks and like, let's keep an eye on that. Um, so she did a follow up. Those cells were still high and it's, it's come like of your white blood cells. I wasn't thinking cancer or anything at the time. I just thought, well, that's kind of odd. It's kind of weird, but she's got it under control. She made me an appointment with a hematologist, uh, you know, to, to look at my blood more carefully at UNC made this appointment. And I remember I was in the lab and I got a phone call. And I answered my cell phone in the lab is standing there and they said, Oh, you were going to see Dr. So-and-so in hematology. Actually, we've reviewed this and we think you need to see this other doctor and you know, who's a hematologist oncologist. You're like the old uh, hemon. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then, yeah. And kind of the, the realization set in like, Oh, they think this is cancer. Um, yikes. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I remember calling my wife and I was like, you know, it was like, they recommended to see a different doctor. So I went for the appointment within, you know, a week or so and I walked in and I sat down and they're drawing my blood uh, and across the table, I could see they have all the vials, you know, they kind of cap them and they're like collecting like six or something for all the different tests they're going to yeah. run. And one of them rolled over and I just looked and it said BCR or ABLE on it. And so ABLE is a kinase and this uh, basically this genetic uh, alteration makes this fusion between two genes, BCR and ABLE, uh, that's a driver of chronic myeloid leukemia. And I was like, oh, that's they, I, yeah. I was like, I bet that's so did you what tell I have. That you knew that I didn't, I didn't actually, I don't think I told the phlebotomist. I, I, right. as I, she was kind of gathering them. I just think it was all a internal conversation. Kind and of a oh shit moment. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was like, oh, they bet, I bet that's what that is. That's what they think it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're testing for this. Now, I did think, and I just written with my boss, like we just written a review kind of on the, you know, the history of kinase inhibitors. And you always like you use Gleevec or Matinib, this drug approved in 2001 to treat CML okay. that treat in 2001 and patients are still on it. And this is now, you know, almost 2020, you know, 2017, 2018. I thought kind of took a breath and it was good. I think that I had the knowledge I had because I thought there are approved drugs for this. Right. Um, and we talked about resistance. So that first one got approved. Now there are many more. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, three or four more for this same you know, type of cancer. Like in case, in case you became resistant to a matinib or didn't respond to it. Um, I will say, uh, so, so that's my cancer story. So that was while I was doing my studies on kinase inhibitors, I began taking a kinase inhibitor. Uh, and so I've been on it for several years. The good news is my cancer responded almost immediately. So I, I started on a matinib, so the first approved drug. A couple reasons, there's more long-term data. You talked okay. about side mm-hmm. effects. All of them 
will cause fatigue and there's a chance of, you know, they here are the potential things that could happen. It's pretty scary to see all this list. So they kind of checked my heart after I've been on it for a while. But the most important was they saw, you know, my, the, the cancer cells go down to undetectable levels within, you know, within weeks, within months. Um, and so the key is staying on that. And now there's the potential, um, that I could try coming off of the drug and seeing if the cancer comes back. Um, okay. There have been clinical trials where they've tested this with this type of leukemia I have where uh, about half the time uh, it doesn't come back and the patients are able to stop taking the drug. Interesting. Um, and sometimes it does come back, but in, all, in almost all those cases, they could just resume taking the okay. drug and it goes back down. So, so that was it doesn't the rebound. next question yeah. I was going to ask is yeah. if, if so it does still, come back, does it come back the same or does it come, come back worse. even stronger? Yeah, and, it's, it's so far that you know, I'd have to review the data again, but the, the initial studies were, it was still responsive to, okay. to that drug. So. Um, and I will share, you know, a couple of things about that. Number one, I don't want to minimize it, but I did think, you know, I had several thoughts at once, like it's a very treatable cancer. And so it makes me hopeful about the things we're trying to find for cancers that have a much more dire outcome. Like, can we get to that, you know, and, and it with tumors that are solid and not kind of in your blood, you know, there, there are inherent challenges mm-hmm. with that. Uh, but can we improve these, you know, the way that was improved for me? I'll also acknowledge maybe just being a scientist and maybe just my personality. I kind of absorbed it and like took a deep breath. I'm like, okay, this is going to be okay. I think kind of my faith uh, kind of uh, undergirded me a bit, but I, I thought also like there are, this drug has been around for almost 20 years. You know, it's very safe. There's a lot of data about it. And it is, if I don't respond to this one, there are a couple other options. Yeah. Um, but when I told my, my wife and kids, I think, you know, you just hear cancer. And it's a, right. it's a scary word. I was trying to reassure them, but I don't want to minimize it for them. It was kind of, and, and it definitely changed me. I mean, the, the side effects, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it, but you know, the fatigue things that happen when you take this drug every day, right. um, you know, affect your, your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was my kids at the time, you know, and this was now five, six years ago. So they're middle school. And, uh, so I said, you know, I'm, I'm not undergoing like the chemotherapy. You need to get out. You mean the kids? Oh, get out and cut the lawn. Uh, yeah, I'm a little <laughs> yeah. tired. Yeah. I used it to. Yeah, some strategy yeah. there. There may have been. Yeah, there may have been some. Uh, there may have been some extra kindness there for a bit. But no, they've been super supportive. And again, I, I'll just circle back to the. I think uh, the the biggest motivating thing for me is now like, oh, this is a like. There's been such success like the cancer that I have with these drugs, like, can we get there with some others? And right. so I think, yeah. and, and I, you know, circling back, it may not be, it may be a kinase inhibitor plus some other drug that's not a kinase inhibitor. It's likely that for some of these more complicated yeah. cancers that, that maybe grow faster, they grow in different places. They, it's hard to get the drug there. Um, yeah. But. Would you say that your personal experience has added to the already existing passion that you had for wanting to fight this yeah, disease. 100%, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. And especially, um, especially as I started getting, and the cool thing about starting to work with Wade, uh, Wade Clapp at, at IU, my department chair and collaborator, um, he, he gets a lot of funding for a neuro, neurofibromatosis types one and two. Uh, there are the private foundation called the Children's Tumor Foundation, which people can look up and check out and, um, you know, patients and their families. And there's a lot of, as with the American Cancer Society, a lot of, there's a lot of advocacy, uh, you know, like your story. So yeah. when you meet people that are kind of going through this, especially when you meet parents or you meet the kids themselves, um, you know, young adults, uh, it's extremely motivating. And 
So I hope we can kind of, uh, you know, push something forward. And, and, and I think, um, you know, and more recently, I mentioned the, the, the MEC inhibitor in, in work that we did with Wade Clapp and others uh, at a lot of institutions. Um, you know, there's another drug, a clinical trial was just completed, a different kinase inhibitor um, in, for the benign, uh, okay. benign tumors that NF1 patients get. And so now we're on that, we're really interested, as I mentioned, this, they're really at risk of those tumors, that those benign tumors actually transform into malignant tumors. I was just going so, to ask, so, you know, someone might say, well, if it's benign, why, why worry about it? Yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's our, one of our primary interests. There's a high morbidity, which just means it so affects their quality of life. It's okay. really devastating, you know, the, you know, the, the actual physical burden of having these really large tumors and, you know, the psychological burden, but they can affect other structure, structures that can cause a lot of pain. And then if you think about cancer, which is when they kind of transform and become malignant, that's what they're really at high risk for. Yeah. Uh, and so we like can maybe, as we were talking about before, maybe you need to start on that a drug sooner so you prevent that from ever happening yeah. rather than try and play catch up and wait until it happens. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So we're going to put you on the spot for a yeah. minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Crystal balls are very... Uh, Short supply right now. Yes. Yeah. 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 If, you, if you ask anybody about the economy, what are they foresee yeah. over the next five years? <laughs> like, <laughs> get my magic eight ball out. Yeah. Try that. I don't know. Hoping my kids get scholarships. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That'd be nice. Um, what is your, let's say, five-ish year crystal ball yeah. look like for cancer research in general or more specifically to the areas that you guys got focus on? Okay. Yeah. Five years from now, I think, um, I think uh, the, a couple of things are involved. So we are, the way we approach this problem sometimes identifies kinases for which there is not a drug. So I anticipate, and I'm not really in the medicinal chemistry or kind of drug development, but we have collaborators who are and, and kind of in folks that are working on that. So I think yeah. the more drugs that we can have for some kinases, where, oh, actually, you know, we didn't understand this one well, but it turns out to be really important in this, you know, pediatric cancer and like maybe driving resistance or maybe we should just try drug for it, you know, at the, at the forefront, at the outset. Um, so I think that's going to continue to increase more, more availability of compounds that we could, that we could give to patients and at the very least that we could test in the lab. Um, and on the other end for really effect on patient care, uh, I think we're going to get more approvals. I think, um, I think, you know, and it's not just our, everybody in the field, I think, is, is interested in, you know, when a drug gets approved, I, I may have mentioned this before, but it means pass a lot of safety hurdles. Now the last question is, is it effective or not? And so, you know, for a patient with a tumor that's, you know, you've kind of reached the kind of the end of your rope treatment option wise, having these available trials of like, hey, would you be interested in this? And, you know, I just think as a parent for my kid, I think if you were, I mean, not that I'll say that we know people have taken this pill and it's safe, let's just see if it, can yeah. do anything. I think uh, we should continue, and I hope we push some of those forward um, with you know the work that we're doing with collaborators at, at IU. Um, <clears throat> and I think the combinations will be the key. Uh, and I talk, talked a lot about kinase inhibitors, this class of drugs, but I think uh, we now have drugs that um, uh, are ways uh, to kind of uh, stimulate the, your body's own immune system to recognize and, and yep. destroy the cancer mm -hmm. cells. So I think using those in the right combination. You know, I, I just mentioned kinase inhibitor plus maybe another kinase inhibitor, but a lot of times um, when we do studies, 
in an animal model, we can kind of get a picture before we ever go into patients, we can get a picture of kind of as a whole organism is taking this kinase inhibitor, what's happening? Um, you know, and, and getting back again, like, is it tolerable? Are the toxicities too much to bear for this animal model? And then what's happening in the tumor to the cancer cells and also everything that surrounds them? Do immune cells, you know, suddenly go into the tumor? That could be a good thing if we can then maybe use a combination where we, you know, further stimulate the immune system to respond. Uh, so I think that, you know, I think those are two major um, advances I hope to see in the next five years, really yeah. seeing some things move forward. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Last question. Yeah. UNC and IU <laughs> are slated to play each other this fall <laughs> or this winter again in basketball. Um, I don't recall if the game's going to be in Bloomington or Chapel Hill. Okay. It's out okay. there. I just don't remember which. Um, are you wearing red or are you wearing powder blue or Carolina blue. Well, sorry. since I, since I already admitted, I have a little more biased, uh, lean towards Duke versus Carolina. I don't think I own anything Carolina okay. blue. Okay. So I will probably pull so on it is. my IU sweatshirt and my, my daughter is a, is going to be a senior this year. Okay. And so she's looking at colleges. And so, you know, like if she makes some decision, you know, by just depending on when that game is, she does early decision <laughs> is like, I'm going to IU and then I'm, you know, extra be reason to kind of support yeah, that. But, yeah. Well, one of my daughters will be a freshman at IU this okay. coming fall. So yeah. um, I'll, if you need some, some brainwashing, <laughs> I'm happy to uh, help. Some extra sweat, some yeah. extra gear. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yep. Cool. Well, hey, uh, Dr. Ingus, yeah. thank you for your time. Oh. We appreciate you sharing your story with us. And thanks for all the work that you do on behalf yeah, thank of you. Uh, thanks everyone to the Heroes Foundation. Yeah, the support has been fantastic. It's really catalyzed our work. Um, and we so appreciate it. Well, thank you. We're happy to do it. Yeah. And we're happy to do uh, to do more. Thanks mm -hmm. so much. It's yeah, great to be you. here. And all you guys out there listening, thanks for tuning in on this episode of the Summits Podcast. Again, if you're on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, hit that little subscribe button, little notification bell, so you can be alerted when this episode and the next ones out in the future drop. Thanks again for joining us and beat cancer.